Oh man, what's going on, everybody? Today's episode is some heat. Some heat. I love this one, man. I love recording this for you guys. I hope that you enjoy it. It's just another classic rant, you know, very, very much a follow up from the spiritual battlefield, uh, the state of the spiritual battlefield that we did a couple weeks ago. And also, uh, one that a lot of people asked me just to talk about the Equality Act. And so I finally dove into that a little bit more. I talk about Dr. Rachel Levine, talk about Javier Becerra, talk about what's happening in the world. I talk about uh, personal ownership. I talk about self-care and self-love and what I think about those things and how we should approach this stuff. Oh, it's fired up. Definitely get to the end. I, I feel like the last, again, just like I did with the, the current state of the battlefield, um, everybody told me like the last 10 minutes were the best and I agree. And I think the same is true with this one. So if you only listen to 10 minutes, I would listen to the last 15, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, but I hope that you enjoy it. If you enjoy it, please share. As I always ask you, it takes you literally three seconds to leave us a review. Uh, if you just leave the, the you know, hit the stars or whatever you think. Um, but also, if you leave us a comment review, that would be big for the podcast. So continue to share if you think that it's valuable. Um, and I just hope that you listen and really take it to heart today. I know I have a lot of stuff that I need to take to heart from today's message. So please enjoy uh, and continue just to fight hard and, and be holy in, in this world. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. He's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. lead others and never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Hey, what's up everybody? This is your boy Nathan back at it today to talk to you about spiritual warfare and just kind of the state of society, you know, just some more thoughts on uh, that I've kind of had since the last podcast on this. So we got a great response to, to that podcast that I did on the state of the spiritual battlefield, my notes from Father Ripperger uh, from his talk here um, on campus. And so a lot of people talked about doing a part two, just kind of following up with it. And, it's, you know, all of these things kind of rolled together and, and things that I love to talk about. So I didn't write extensive notes for this one. I'm kind of just kind of talk and, and rant similarly to how I did this past Wednesday. I gave a talk on campus to the St. Joseph Consecration Group uh, and they kind of gave me free reign and said, you can talk about whatever you want. And so I went with the topic of um, St. Joseph's terror of demons and kind of what that means and how we can partake in that and what our role kind of is in that and fighting back against evil, right? So there's obviously a lot of things going on in our world today, right? You see a lot of things. And um, I think a lot of stuff that I talked about last time, right? All the things, ways that our sin kind of perpetuates or adds to or yeah, builds on to the evil and the, the negativity that's happening in our world today um, is really important. So I think always when we talk about these things, we have to start from the place of personal responsibility. How am I, you know, how are my actions, my thoughts, my words contributing to the evil in society, to the degradation of the church? Um, it's incredibly important for us to reflect on that and always start from that place before we start getting worked up, before and after we start getting worked up about the other things that other people are doing and the way the world's kind of generally going. We always have to first, I think, take that personal responsibility and just, you know, yeah, kind of think about how am I contributing to this? How am I part of the problem? And so uh, I just want to encourage you to do that. And hopefully you've been praying about that, reflecting upon that. I know it's been a huge part of my life just for the last couple of weeks, just thinking about that in my own life, you know, as I prepare uh, to be a husband and father one day, how am I preparing myself now to be a saint while doing that and just growing towards sainthood and 
to who God's calling me to be. You know, uh, Father Simon recently, he's the chaplain here at Benedictine College, and he recently gave a homily. And he talked about this, this quote from C.S. Lewis, who had something along the lines of, if we were able to see ourselves as we are fully capable of becoming, right, through the grace of God, of who God created us to be, we'd be tempted to worship ourselves because of, you know, the, the divinity, the grace, the holiness that we're capable of as human beings, as Christians. Um, but we often don't cooperate with God enough to let that happen, right? And so we're called to be that. And that is first and foremost, the place that we need to begin, the place that we need to start, you know, looking to, to change the world. We have to change ourselves, surrender ourselves more over to the Father, to give ourselves, you know, um, you know, just surrender ourselves just to be slaves to Christ, to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and heal all of our wounds, to take care of us and to treat us and to form us into what God wants us to be so that we can be the type of people, you know, as St. Catherine of Siena said, that we can be who God fully made us to be and set the world on fire. And so just everything we talk about, let's just always approach it in that way. And I hope that every time you see something, you know, I try to do this, I'm not always the best at it, but if I see something that somebody else is doing and it's frustrating me and I'm you know, getting judgmental towards them, or I'm like, man, I really don't like this person. Or I don't like what they did or whatever it might be. Always taking the time to reflect within myself and say, okay, how am I doing that? How have I contributed to doing that to other people's lives? How am I acting that way towards others? Like where might that sin, that vice exist in my own life? And it's really helpful. You know, it takes humility to do that. And so that's why I struggle with doing it, but it is incredibly helpful exercise and not something that's always good. So that you know, you can kind of be weary of, or, you know, uh, be careful with the whole, you know, seeing a splinter in your brother's eye while having a plank in your own eye. So we don't want to be ignorant towards ourselves. You want to know yourself. You want to know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know where you're struggling and just call, call upon the Lord to, to help you with those areas of struggle. Right. So one of the things I think is really important when it comes to the spiritual battlefield, and we see this in the United States of America in a very practical way is that we have a ton of people who kind of forget that we're in a time of war. Right. So we have this in the United States of America uh, in, in actuality. Right. Because we are in war in the Middle East. And most people forget about that. You know, the, the majority of Americans um, are not immediately affected by that. They don't know somebody who's deployed or has been deployed or who has died overseas. And so it's easy for us to kind of forget that we're like in this like we're like a country literally at war right now. Right. We're in the longest war in our nation's history. And it's easy to forget about that. And that's a really dangerous thing. Because if you think about it, you know, I often say that the only reason we're able to complain and uh, I, th I think I said this in the last podcast, the only reason we're able to get upset about a lot of the things that we're getting upset about, that we're able to push a lot of stuff that we're pushing, um, like a lot of the stuff that's in the Equality Act, which I'm going to talk about today. The only reason we're able to do that is because of the fact that we're in a time of, even though we're at war, we're in a time of like comfort and peace, you know, relative peace here at home. And that's a dangerous thing. You know, it's a dangerous thing to get so comfortable that uh, you forget that you're at war and that there are threats out there and that there are things and efforts and nations and people who are actually actively fighting against your demise, right? It, it's very easy to get into that spot, but we, we have to avoid that because if you like the worst, the worst thing you can do in the case where you're actually under attack when you actually are threatened is to pretend like you're not, right? To just let your guard down, just pretend like you're not at, you know, at, at risk, uh, that you're not under threat. Especially when you think of this as, as far as protecting a family, right? Or protecting yourself or protecting other people. Like that's the, the, the worst thing that you can do is pretend like something's not happening for the sake of comfort or for the sake of, you know, niceties or just being, yeah, just to, you know, overly um, relaxed and comforting to one another. I think if we get into this place as a church, we forget that spiritual warfare is real and that it's really heightened right now that we're in a really dangerous time. And you can see this in so many ways. <laughs> you see this in so many things that are around us. I talk about them all the time on social media. I talk about them on the podcast. And I think that the Equality Act is a great example of that. But even before we get into the Equality Act, think about uh, the nominations that President Biden has put forth in some of these offices, right? So for Health and Human Services, you, you've seen me share on Instagram some of the stuff with Dr. Rachel Levine, Right, Dr. Rachel Levine is a trans woman, a biological male, uh, identifying as a woman, who is very, very progressive, if you will, very, very liberal, very, very left on her views on uh, his or her views on the the trans movement. And so, the most dangerous side of that 
that I think got a lot of publicity last week was she was heavily questioned, uh, I believe by, was by Senator Rand Paul about her views on transgender surgeries and hormonal treatments for children, right? Children, we're talking like ages like five to 10, like children, children, right? Which is, which is unbelievable to think about. And so she, Rachel, Dr. Levine just completely like ignored the questions and just, you know, tried to push it along, never gave it an actual answer on whether or not uh, Dr. Levine is pro uh, those treatments happening to children or against them, which you know means that, they're, that, that, that she's pro those things, right? So you know that she's pro those things because she refused to answer them and say that she was against it. And if she was against it, that's an easy thing to say that you're against. And it's like the most rational, normal thing to say that you're against, right? Um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for you to not be willing to do that, to, for you to not be willing to say, no, I don't think that transgender surgeries and operations should be happening to children. It's a really dangerous precedent to set, right? And you can just imagine, we think about the slippery slope and you hear a lot of conservatives, especially religious conservatives talk about the slippery slope and how so many of these things kind of just lead to, to another uh, once we start tolerating sin and immorality in our, in our world. And you can really imagine what the slippery slope is like. If a, if a child is capable of identifying themselves to saying that they are, you know, to identify their gender at the age of five, seven, 10, I mean, even 14, like what else are they able to give consent to, right? And that's why I think that, I think that everybody can kind of predict that, that pedophilia is going to be, become uh, more and more, I think, normalized if you can even accurately, you know, like logically use those words, but will be attempted to be normalized and pushed upon society more and more. And you see this already happening with the things like Netflix little cutie thing where they just sexualize children, cuties, the, the thing they did on uh, like young girls where they're just sexualizing children and just trying to make that normal, just pushing more and more of that into society through pop culture, right? Um, in our school system, when they're talking to just young ages, I mean, there's states and, and education systems, literally public education systems that are pushing, teaching kids about gender identity at the age of five, teaching them about, you know, like very, very sexual things at ages of seven, eight, nine, 10 years old, um, just normalizing things like uh, masturbation or some of these other things, like talking about like, you know, these kids who are pre prepubescent kids talking to them about these things and not in a way that says, that's true and honorable and respectful that, you know, lets them know about the dangers that are out there. It lets them know about the changes of their body, but that encourages these things that encourages, not just supports or not just teaches about, you know, and, and kind of forms them and, and gives an education on it, but actually encourages and endorses these things as good. Right. And if you think about the fact that the average child right now is already exposed to a pornography at the age of 11, right. I think it's like 70% of, of men. I just saw a bunch of stats on this on pornography, um, a priest friend of mine shared on Facebook today that he got from Safe Haven, uh, or he's doing this event called Safe Haven Sunday, and uh, just was doing a lot of research on this. And 70% of men, 18 to 24, regularly look at porn. Um, talking about sexting, just the high number of teens that are sexting. 57% of teens uh, search out porn at least monthly. And so when you think about this stuff, and now we're going to just continue to normalize and sexualize children and all this stuff. I mean, you want to talk about a slippery slope, like people like Dr. Rachel Levine are going to just, I mean, utterly, it's going to be unbelievable. We, we're putting, we're electing them to the highest offices. And these are the things, again, that people just kind of neglected and forgot about when people argued, oh, all you Catholics or Christians who are voting for, for Trump because of the pro-life movement, you are actually uh, single issue voters. And it, the, the ironic thing about that is that if you were a single issue voter, on abortion alone, you'd be justified in that. I think there's a very solid, moral, reasonable argument that you can make that even if you disagree with everything else, but this person was pro-life, that you could still vote for them, right? Now, when you consider that that's not the case, right? It's hard to imagine anybody who's faith-filled actually and informed and faithful and like believes in reason and God and natural law and virtues uh, wanting to, to vote for these things. Cause this is exactly what we did. Right. And then think about on the other side of that is, is you have Javier Becerra, um, who's also, a, a, a Biden nominee. Um, I forget what office he's, he's being nominated to. Um, but, uh, Javier Becerra, man, I shared some of his stuff as well. Um, of him just 
talking about uh, partial birth abortions and him just, you know, not being willing to say, yeah, if a baby survives an abortion and is living on the operating table, is living outside of the womb, we should not kill it. That should be illegal to kill that child. Nope. He won't give a clear answer on that. He says that he's, you know, uh, a strong believer in Roe v. Wade and um, just refuses to say, no, we shouldn't kill that child, which, which again, gives you the answer, right? He, he calls it a, a future baby, um, a baby who's literally viable, like could survive outside the womb, could be delivered. You're talking eight, nine months into a pregnancy is, uh, you know, miss like the abortion doesn't go well or whatever. I mean, abortion, I don't even know how you say that. Abortion is ineffective, I guess. And it, the baby survives. And his, his belief is that you should be able to kill the baby then outside of the womb. Which obviously is no more egregious than killing the baby inside the womb 13 seconds before that. But just, you know, it just shows you, I think even some of these people who are, are pro-choice up to a certain point, right? Like, you realize how when we open the door for this, talk about a slippery slope, when you open the door to say, and this is why, you know, pro-lifers are so against these less than 1% of abortions that come from rape and incest, which is constantly thrown about. It's a classic tactic, classic argument uh, strategy of the left is to say, you know, take a very, very tiny percentage of something and then make that the norm. And then make th that's how they get you started on the slippery slope, right? So less than 1% of abortions come from rape or incest. Less than 1% of people, you know, in the trans argument are uh, born hermaphrodites or, you know, mixed gender and, and really, you know, have kind of both parts, if you will. Um, but those are the arguments that are used to, to say why we should just obliterate the whole thing, right? So the, the rape and incest gets you started on the slippery slope of now we've gotten all the way up to not only nine months, but even after, even if the baby's born on the table, just straight infanticide, just killing babies outside of the womb. Um, and, and even you have political leaders who are saying that we should give them like comfortability so that they don't feel pain on their, on their way to death, which is just unbelievable to think about, right? It's like unfathomable um, and just really hard to imagine people actually believing that. And we voted these people in, we, the American people, for the sake of niceness and false unity, uh, voted these leaders in. And now this is who President Biden is giving us to, to do these things. And so you see this and that's, I mean, we haven't even gotten started on the Equality Act, right? And so the Equality Act, and I'm going to, you know, eventually go on to share, I think, a lot of how this kind of spiritually looks for us and how this affects us um, as a church. And I think that the Equality Act is a great, a great segue into that. So let's take a look at this. So I got a, I, I've read a decent bit on it, watched, a, you know, several videos and stuff, people talking about it, listen to podcasts, people talking about it. Um, but the article that I'm looking at now is from March 1st um, from Crisis Magazine, which is a voice for the Catholic laity uh, and um, crisismagazine.com, the Equality Act, anti-woman, anti-Catholic. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting, you know, because that's exactly what it is. You know, despite the whole, you know, Joe Biden picking a, a woman as his vice president, it, this this whole, like all of these things are just incredibly anti-woman, which is almost, you know, it's incredible. And now you're starting to finally, finally see feminists actually rise up against this because it's like, where are all the feminists while they're just allowing people to just let these things happen? right? Like the desecration of, um, I mean, they're just going to destroy women's sports, right? So the Equality Act um, passed in the House of Representatives this past week with a 224 to 206 vote. Um, it warned that the act, uh, that people have warned that the act threatens the civil rights of women and all people of faith. It would not only destroy equality for women who are not biological males, but it would also remove all protections that the Religious Freedom Act had provided to us in the past. Right. So a lot of what this does is basically the, the what I've heard is kind of the basic version of this is that it gives the same protections that you saw in the 1964 Civil Rights Act to on the basis of race, um, to gender identity and to sexuality, um, sexual orientation. Right. And so if you think about that, what that means is I've heard it go like the people saying the extremes are either with this bill or obviously the slope and the direction that we're headed in is that uh, one day it's very possible that we'll see in America a, a biological man apply to be in a convent. And if they reject him on the basis of gender, they will be sued. Um, Catholic schools having to let boys into girls' restrooms if they identify as a girl. Um, all of these things, right? So you want to talk about religious freedoms that's being destroyed. Uh, the, the restrictions and just the 
uh, government control that will be just exerted on Catholic schools, on homeschool families, when it comes to things like gender identity, gender ideology, um, and sexuality, all these things that will need to be taught, as I was just telling you before about the, the sexualization of children and these just awful things that they want to teach really young kids, that's going to be pushed in public schools. And not only that, but they're going to also start overreaching into Catholic schools, to religious schools, and enforcing that as well. Um, and we really haven't heard, I mean, we, we've heard a little bit from the bishops, um, uh, you know, here and there about this, but it was one of the things that, you know, <laughs> they said in the article here that while faithful Catholics are grateful for the statement last week, um, it, it is a, little, a bit too little and much too late. It said that for more than two years, Crisis Magazine had been sounding the alarm on the threats posed by the Equality Act that was just passed last week by the House of Representatives. And so you think about that, like this has been a long time coming. And, and one of my favorite lines that they have in this article is it's bolded and it says, no one should be surprised by any of this. And it really is sad. I think when you talk to some people and I know there's, there's gotta be uh, plenty, plenty of regretful Biden voters out there. And if there aren't yet, there will be, you know, by the end of this year, um, if they have any, you know, morality and care about these types of things, right. They care about our children in the future. Um, and just, yeah, morality and truth. But when you think about it, we all kind of knew that this was coming, right? If you, if you don't, if you're not just a simply an avid CNN, you know, binger, or just get all of your news from the New York Times, like, if you have any type of balance in your news consumption, you know that these things are happening, you know that these things are being pushed. Um, and, and, and people, get upset and people want to squash you when you start to get upset about the little things, right? Because you have to draw the line somewhere. But this is one of the things that I think is, I, I've shared a lot in the last couple of weeks. And I think about it a lot in regards to, to mask wearing. Um, and again, I say this all the time, but I'm not anti-mask. I think that masks when worn properly can be helpful, but I think that a lot of people don't wear them properly anymore and they give us a false sense of security. So I'm kind of in the middle of the road on that. I'll wear them if I have to um, but I think that uh, organizations, I think that colleges should be able to make their own decision if they want to wear, make people wear masks. I think that churches and buildings and, and businesses should be able to. Um, but I think we need to destigmatize people who choose to not and people who want to gather with their friends and family. Anyways, uh, mask wearing, I've been using this example a lot. And I learned this from the, the Rise of Jordan Peterson uh, documentary that's on Amazon Prime. If you haven't watched that, I recommend you go watch it. It's really good. Uh, they also have Uncle Tom on Amazon Prime, which is fire. There's a lot of really good documentaries actually on Amazon Prime. I'm kind of surprised because there's a lot of conservative stuff on there, even though they've been canceling all these conservative books lately. But anyways, The Rise of Jordan Peterson. Somebody talks about Jordan Peterson. If you don't know who he is, so he's a clinical psychologist from Canada. He got really famous a few years ago because he was one of the first to stand up against Canada's uh, like not, like federal mandate basically to force people to use gender pronouns that that person identifies with that would make it like I hate crime you could be fined or I think even imprisoned if you violated that right so if somebody told you what their gender was and not even like oh I'm a woman and I want to be or I'm a guy that is identifying as a woman I want you to call me she but like even getting into these like 30 I forget what Facebook has now like 56 different genders that you can choose from like all these different like made up words and false things and Jordan Peterson, much like you'll notice with myself too, right? Like when I talked about Dr. Rachel Levine, like I'll, I'll call, I'll call her a she, if that's what, you know, is fine. Like, I, I think that we go back and forth on that and, and the morality of that. Um, but I, I, this is kind of Jordan Peterson's thing. This is kind of Ben Shapiro's thing. Like if somebody's asking us to do that, if somebody's asking me, if somebody's asking uh, Jordan Peterson to call him or her, uh, he or she, He's willing to do that, but he does not think that the government should force you to do that. He does not think that that's right, that the government can come in and force you to do this. And, and somebody criticized him once, or he gets criticized a lot, but he said that he got a criticism once that this is kind of an arbitrary place to draw the line. He's like, you see all these different things and things happening in the LGBTQ movement and in the freedom of, in the infringement upon the freedom of speech and all these different things that are happening, right? Like just kind of crushing down Western values, traditionally Western values. And he said, you know, it is kind of an arbitrary place to draw the line, but he said, but you have to draw it somewhere. And every point along the line seems somewhat arbitrary, right? And that's the same thing that we kind of talked about and what a lot of black conservatives try to say with race, right? Like 
we get it. Like racism exists, but like at some point we have to draw the line, just stop talking about it and just let people live and live in a merit-based society or else we're going to have to go fully plunge into socialism and everybody will just be poor. Right. So like, it's like, you can say that it's arbitrary at some point to draw the line, but we have to draw it somewhere. Right. You have to eventually kind of cut things off and stop along this line. And that's kind of where we're at. I think the Equality Act is such a good point. And I think that's what Crisis Magazine is talking about. They're like, for three years, we've been begging you people to draw the line somewhere and nobody would do it. Nobody would do it. And so here we go. Uh, here we are. You know, um, they had a they had a great example here. You know, as another bold part in the article is that women who are born female will suffer the greatest losses. So think about this. This is another thing, the whole single issue voters, if you voted for, for Trump, if you vote pro-life, no, that's not the only thing. So check out this. This this is another paragraph um, in the article. It says, in some states, the destruction is already complete. In Connecticut, where biological males are allowed to compete against females in high school sports, two boys have won 15 women's track championship titles since 2017, titles formerly held by nine different girls in 2016. In an attempt to address this injustice, three female high school track and field Competitors filed a federal Title IX discrimination complaint seeking to block biological males from participating in girls' sports. The filing alleges that these competitions have consequences beyond the race itself and influence scholarship opportunities and college careers, which is obvious and undoubtedly true, right? So the Trump administration agreed with these girls. Uh, William Barr, the AG, AG Barr, um, Attorney General Barr, signed a statement of interest and support in, 2020, uh, in March 2020 to support the girls' lawsuit. But just last week, the Biden administration crushed the girls' attempts to compete on equal playing field, withdrawing the Justice Department's support in this case. Now, think about this. So, again, they go on to say they caught the action to surprise no one. Um, and, and just like all the, the money that's going to go into this, right? So, they talked about uh, Planned Parenthood is a big player in, uh, was a big player in the 2016 election, buying Biden's allegiance. Uh, and presumably his soul, the Planned Parenthood Action Fund tripled election spending in 2020, pumping more than $45 million into the campaign to help Biden defeat President Donald Trump. This was three times what Planned Parenthood spent in the 2016 presidential elections, election and eight times what it spent in the 2018 congressional races. President Biden has promised to overturn all the pro-life policies of the Trump administration and mark the 48th anniversary of the Supreme Court's ruling establishing the rights to an abortion in Roe v. Wade by promising to enshrine abortion rights into federal law. Now think about that. Now that's the circular logic, right? We're single issue voters, but President Biden received $45 million from Planned Parenthood. And then he proceeds to just tear down any pro-life policies. And we think that he actually has any type of moral stance on this issue, like whatsoever, right? Like there's none. All it was about is money and it's a reciprocal experience. They can give that $45 million to the campaign because they're going to make a lot more than $45 million from his policies that he's going to enact. And what have we done as a church? What do we do as a community? We voted for him and we continue to vote for them. And we continue to act like these things are okay. And within the church, we continue to act like abortion's okay. We continue to act like um, just, just, just to promote and encourage and support same-sex uh, attraction and same-sex marriages and things like that, right? So think about this. It's, I mean, it's incredible uh, just how sad this is. Um, but it, it, he said that also, the article goes on to also detail just how active uh, LGBTQ activists were in the Biden campaign as well, uh, making six-figure, uh, this, this billionaire philanthropist, John Stryker, who made six-figure uh, personal campaign donations to Biden, um, but it's nothing compared to the million striker has pumped into the campaign for gen transgender rights through his LGBTQ rights NGO, the Arcus Foundation. And so they just continue to do this, right? And the money's just pumped into these politicians who in turn make money for the people that give them money, right? And that's one of the things that people really liked about President Trump. And I say it every, every day of my life that I'm not a crazy Trump supporter. But one of the things people liked about President Trump was he wasn't able to be bought, right? Like, when you think about Biden or Bernie Sanders, these people who have literally, Nancy Pelosi, um, even like people like Ilhan Omar, like their net worth, I mean, unbelievable, a hundredfold. And all they've done is politics. They're literally wealthy people. They're, they're in the same places as, um, you know, financially as, as very, very successful businessmen and women. And why? From politics. And you think that they're just making $200,000 a year? 
you're out of your mind. And so I think that it's incredibly important for us to start to wake up to some of these things and start to realize it. But when you think about the Equality Act, has also been said that, uh, you know, according to Catholic Vote, they, they said that the Equality Act could force doctors to perform abortions, could force doctors and nurses to administer transgender, you know, hormone blockers and stuff to, to kids, puberty blockers and stuff to children. Um, that will literally change and affect their lives forever. Uh, but just the, the, the uh, Becerra is a longtime opponent of faith organizations, says Catholic Vote, such as the Little Sisters of the Poor, whom he once brought to court over their faith objection to a federal mandate that would have required them to provide contraceptive and uh, abortion drugs to their employees. Now, that's going to be our religious freedoms, right? We already saw our religious freedoms get just almost wiped out last year with the pandemic. And we saw the way that almost all of the bishops just completely rolled over and just caved to the government. And again, you might say, isn't it good? I get this, I get this a lot. Isn't it good and kind that we wear masks and that we socially distance and that we love our neighbor through, um, you know, just supporting these people and supporting the, uh, supporting the mandates that are put out and following the CDC guidelines. Like, sure, I agree that we should do that and that we should take the action that we can to, to save lives and to help people. Um, but there's two things with that. One, again, is the, is the idea, right, that you have to draw the line somewhere. And so that's why I'm constantly asking people when, when I'm fed that is, okay, so where do we stop? And if the government just is accustomed to, oh, if we pump enough fear into the world, then everybody just caves and does what we want. I'm not saying that, that COVID isn't real, but we also have to recognize there's a lot of risks out there. There's a lot of things that could hurt people that can kill people. But like, what, to what extent are we able, are we willing to just like sacrifice our freedoms and our rights uh, and just allow the government to mandate and just take those things away? Like those should never be infringed upon. You know, it's kind of like the joke everybody said. I love this is like one of my favorite Babylon B articles that the, the best Babylon B articles are always the ones that really aren't satire. They're kind of, they're just real and it's just sad, but you have to laugh to keep from crying. And one of these, I think, was when Mississippi and Texas opened up last week, right? 100% open, all businesses can open, no federal, no statewide mask mandate anymore. And people were like, wait a minute, we're, we're praising Governor Abbott uh, in Texas for lifting restrictions that he shouldn't have put in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, we, people can always, like, you can still continue to wear a mask. You can still continue to socially distance. If you have a business, you can still continue to keep it at 50%. But you don't have to. I don't understand why we would ever have to make like have to make people do that, have to force people to do that. Now, I think you had an argument when there was, you know, ICU, ICU beds in certain areas and we we're running out of ICU beds and stuff like that. But that can still be a local decision. Why that would need to be federally or even statewide mandated when there are certain specific areas that were hit substantially harder than others makes no sense to me. It's, I mean, it's much like the argument for the federal minimum wage. It's like things, situations are different. That's why we have the society structure that we have because states have rights and they're able to do their own things and local leaders can make better decisions than federal leaders. That's, that's like the basis of the American constitution, right? Like that's like the whole point of America. It's crazy. The other side of this, I think when we talk about, um, when we talk about the, like drawing the line somewhere with religious liberties, religious freedoms, and, and especially when in regards to the pandemic is I, I read this great post the other day, um, by a woman on Instagram. Her, her Instagram handle is, is Rooted Wings. And uh, this, I mean, this is just so good. So she said, for everyone still shouting, love your neighbor as the holy impenetrable mantra for staying home, keeping away, mass masking, shutting church, closing school, obliterating small business, burning through savings, missing weddings, births, birthdays and funerals, decimating kids sports, fueling addiction and suicide, leaving the sick and old alone. What is your definition of love? And what is your definition of neighbor? And I think, you know, that's what I always want people to understand and to talk about is when we debate some of these social issues, it's always viewed as there's one side who's 100% right and on the moral side and 100% wrong. And the crazy thing about today's world is that usually the people who claim to be on the 100% moral side are the immoral side. But there's at least value and truth a lot of times oftentimes in both sides, right? So people who want to stay home and lock down, I truly believe that a lot of those people have good intentions and they want to save lives. What we're not, rec what we're not recognizing and what people didn't really 
see, I think last March and April and May, as we were talking about shutting the country down indefinitely, is that the medical experts are one facet of who you should listen to in making that decision, right? And that's the same thing with the church leaders, right? Like a bishop has a lot of responsibility to make good decisions and to lead their people, to be a shepherd. And so the medical experts are not the only people you think you listen to. You're the spiritual expert of your people, right? Like, and, and even like uh, you think about a, a father in a home as parent, you should be able to have some decision-making and some, some, you know, freedom to actually decide what's best for you and your family. You should be able to decide if you have a family who's obese and is high risk or who has contact with old people in your home, with elderly people, um, or if you have somebody who has, you know, uh, immune disorders and things like that, right? Uh, that you should be able to make decisions on whether or not you want to go to mass. But this idea that we're just going to shut down masses completely for, it's crazy. Not even let priests who want to say mass say mass. Not let people who want to go to mass or confession do those things. People not being able to go to funerals, people not being able to see your last rites. It's, it's wild. And we just let, I mean, it was immediate. Like it wasn't, there was no pushback. There was no anything. It was just like, okay, you want us to shut down? Roger that. We'll do it. <laughs> we'll do it, man. You say it, we'll do it. And it just, it, it's, it's wild. And we're going to see the effects of these things for a long time to come. And so I just want people to think about that. Think about all these things that you see in our world, right? This kind of brings us back to the whole point. All these things that are happening, we are clearly in a time of war. You talk about spiritual warfare. I'm not saying that you should go take violent action against anybody at all, but we're in a time of spiritual warfare. And so a couple of the things that really drive me crazy about us being in this is that people are just acting like we're not. People are so distracted and we take all of these kind of, you know, we take we watch all these smoke screens while all this stuff is happening behind the scenes and we just act like we don't see it. And like, thank God, mean old Trump is out of office. Now things are good now. And no, they're not. If you think things are good right now, you're just not paying attention. That's all. Like, that's the only way. Either you're crazy or you're not paying attention. Those are your two options if you think that everything's just fine and dandy right now and that the country's unified again because we're not. And we ought not to be. With something like, we can't unify around child, you know, hormone blockers and teaching kids about sex at age five and teaching them gender ideology and, and you know, the Arizona Department of Education talking about teaching your kids critical race theory as early as three months old. That you're supposed to start teaching them this, this anti-racist, eager Max Kennedy nonsense when you're, when they're, you know, infants. It's wild. We should not unify around immorality. We should not unify around falsehood and evil. We can't. At the, we, at the, we risk sacrificing our souls and eternity in our faith if we do that. And that's not worth it. We need to be unified around the truth. We need to be unified around the cross. We need to be unified around our faith and morality and love and justice. That's what unifies us. The other thing that I think happens in, in times like this, where we think we're in times of garrison, but we're in times of war, we think we're in times of peace, but we're in times of battle, is we have this bystander effect. And I often use this analogy, you know, and talk about like, when, when we think about the when we think about the war, right? When we think about the war in Afghanistan, or if, if World War III would actually happen, so many people would not be ready to go in any type of way, right? And the reason why nobody thinks about that, nobody thinks about back in you know, if you ever watch movie three hundred, you see that the men of Sparta were always training for battle because who else was going to protect them? But now, when we have such a big country, we're so developed, we're so established, the men in our country, and I, I often love to say this to church men, I'm like the only reason men don't work out and exercise is because they know that somebody else will defend them if they are attacked. If something happens, your own plan is to just call somebody else to defend you. Other than that, you're just completely vulnerable and susceptible to whatever an intruder or anything, but anybody wants to do to you or your family. And that's not okay. That's not protecting and providing, right? This is not, you don't just talk like protecting and providing as a man is not just spiritual. It's not just praying over your family. You have to be able to literally protect them. Like that's like a requirement. That's like your role and responsibility. That's your task, right? It's not something that you get to just dabble in or that's fun to do. Like you have to be able to do that, right? It's an important thing. Like your, your woman, your family ought to feel safe in your presence. They ought to know that you will protect them, that you will give your life. Laying down your life for them is a, it's a literal thing. It's not just a, a nicety, something you say on your wedding day. That's like a cute analogy. It's like literally be willing to lay down your life. And you practice that every day by washing the dishes, by dying to self. But like, when push comes to shove, you have to have the courage and the willingness to fight and to defend. And so we have to remember that. And as, as men, but as women too, like we have to drop this bystander effect of 
Somebody else will evangelize. Somebody else will say the prayer. Somebody else will go to daily mass today. Somebody else will be a saint. Somebody else will do these things. And this kind of, this kind of mindset just drives me absolutely insane because I get this kind of stuff all the time and I see it all the time. And I think that, you know, I was having a call last week with some friends and told them about some opportunities and stuff coming up that I have uh, some cool things just to work on. And, you know, it's funny to me how, how oftentimes, and we do this, and I talked about this kind of at the very beginning of kind of the, the seeing a splinter in the eye of a brother and having a, a board in our own eye. And it, it's so funny to me how many people will, will and, and jokingly, I don't, I don't, you know, take super offense to this, but will criticize me for being disorganized or typically running late and doing these things, right? And just kind of being all over the place with what I do or dropping the ball on certain things here and there. And I do that and I have my flaws and I don't deny that and I don't doubt that. And I know that those affect people um, and that those are, you know, challenges that I have need to overcome. And I try to put things in place to balance those out. But it's amazing to me how many people I've always seen who have these ideas to start for ministry work, to volunteer, to make a positive impact in the world and just never get it done. They never start. It's always just like this, this beautiful idea. And these are things, not just like beautiful ideas that they've had, but things that I think people truly have had placed on their heart by the Lord in prayer. Like God has given them these desires to do these things and these initiatives and people just don't start or they start and immediately fall off and drop and stop. And it's like, I'd rather do something a little bit sloppy and be late and kind of miss some things than not do it at all. Right. We have this perfect perfectionism is lit. And this is that should be a whole podcast of itself. Perfectionism is a cancer in the Catholic church. It's amazing to me. We're doing interviews now for the RA position for uh, on campus here. And how many people, when you ask them what their weakness is, is perfectionism. And, you know, I remember uh, on one of the, the one of the um, uh, references for, for a student, the, the professor said that he had to continuously remind her that perfectionism is not a virtue. Let me say that again. Perfectionism is not a virtue. Perfectionism is not a virtue. If you are supposed to write, if you're supposed to speak, if you're supposed to be recording videos, if you're supposed to be volunteering or doing whatever you need to do or having a family or getting in a relationship so that you can have a family and you're constantly trying to perfect yourself before you do that, perfectionism is not a virtue. God doesn't call the perfect people to do things. God wants you to be active and willing to participate in what he wants to do in your life. And we don't have that because we have this bystander effect. Somebody else will do it. Sure, there's souls being lost and souls not being reached by the message that I have and the way that God's for me and the gifts that he's given me. And maybe I'm not utilizing my gifts and talents and strengths and all that stuff, but somebody else will do it. No, that's whack. That's weakness. It's not acceptable, especially not in a time of war. And that's what I want to challenge people. I want to wake people up to this because that's how it feels. And I know, and I want people to call me out on this too. This isn't just me trying to say that everybody else sucks and I'm crushing it. No. I want people to look at me and, and I have good friends and, and good male friends who, t- who keep me accountable and, and, you know, challenge me to be better. And Emily challenges me to be better, but we, we have to have those people. We have to be that for each other to push and say, Hey, you're slacking, you know, and the crazier things are, the more blunt we need to be with that. The more hectic things are, the more blunt you need to be. You know, I, I, t- I was talking to an RTC guy here on campus and I was like about this. And I was like, the analogy I used was, you know, if you're doing PT and you're in the United States, right, and you're kind of just like at the gym on Benedict College campus or Mount St. Mary's campus or Notre Dame or, you know, even a public school, right, wherever, you're kind of, you're in a very safe environment. And if you're encouraging somebody, you might be like, come on, buddy, you can do it. Like, work harder, give your best, you know, and you're kind of cheering along, sound like a cheerleader. When you're in Afghanistan, when you're at war, or even if you're simulating being in combat, if you're in ranger school and somebody's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're not giving their all, they're not giving their best it sounds a lot different the way that you encourage them to do that. You don't, when you're in a firefight and you need somebody to move and they're being scared or lazy or they're tired, you don't say, come on, buddy, keep going. You can do it. Give your best. That's not how it works. You say, get the f- up right now and move your ass. That's what you say. And you scream it and you scream it from the depths of your soul, right? You're like, what, what? Like, I mean, it is wild, right? Like you're screaming and pushing each other. And without doing that, without being vicious, right, and, and rude and, and hurtful and judgmental, that's what I want to be. I want to tell you to get your ass up. Stop being lazy. Do the things that you're called to do. Stop being a perfectionist. There's no virtue in that. That's not what we need right now. We need soldiers of Christ who are willing to fight. 
like we're if you think about the the battlefield analogy of this it's like we have a bunch of people with rifles out fully loaded god's giving you the ammunition you've gotten the training you need to start and they're aiming their rifles and we have the target and we have the enemy out in front of us and they're just afraid to pull the, the trigger because they're afraid they'll miss take the shot you take a lot of shots. That's why, you know, when you're in tactical situations, everybody always criticizes police officers when they take a lot of shots, but you miss a lot, right? The reason why people end up getting shot and there's all kinds of bullet holes in cars and things like that is because it's hard to shoot. You miss. It's when your adrenaline's pumping, when things are tough, when the stakes are high, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be able to shoot somebody in the leg as they're running away from you or running towards you because it's hard to do that. You must have never shot a gun before if you think that you're going to hit somebody in the leg while they're running towards you. Do you know how small a freaking leg is? At, at 30 meters, you know, small leg is with a nine mil. It's crazy. You have to take a lot of shots and you want to shoot center mass. So you have the biggest target. And that's what we need to do. Start shooting your shots. Stop being trigger shy. Take your weapon off safe. This is not a time to keep your weapon off safe and your muzzle in the dirt and a magazine out of your, you know, magazine well. We need you to lock and load. <laughs> Put that, you know, flip your uh, safety selector from uh, safe to semi. And watch your lane, take your shots, do what you're supposed to do. I get so tired of this. I get so tired of just seeing, and it's, I see it all the time. Oh my gosh, with Catholic accounts on Instagram and, and social media and all these things where it's always, you know, take a break, take a rest day, be easy on yourself, take time off. Don't, don't be afraid to give, uh, give yourself a rest. Don't be afraid, you know, you're overachievers and doing too much. Oh my gosh, I could literally throw up. I could literally throw up just thinking about it. It drives me actually nuts. It drives me actually nuts. Because I see it all the time. And I think that it's true. And I always tell people this. I say, you know, I, I believe, you know, our, our spiritual, our, our, our pillars of excellence, excuse me. <laughs> I get too hype, I can't speak. Our pillars of excellence, mental health, emotional health, all that stuff is important. That's on there. I agree. You should take rest. You should take time off. You should take, you know, downtime, but do, are we in a place in the church, in the world where people need to hear that more? Do you really, do you really think you actually believe that people are putting too much time and energy into the right things? What I believe people need to hear even more than take time off and take, you know, put less energy and put more time and energy into yourself is push yourself, challenge yourself, put more time and energy into the right things. You're probably not doing that because when you're putting time, and this is something I learned while I was in college, I'm learning it now. I'm constantly trying to evolve in this. But when you're putting a ton of time and energy, you're going 110% in the right things, the burnout feels good. The being, being, you know, just exhausted at the end of the week, having known that you gave it all, left it all in the field, actually feels good. It's when you're doing a bunch of dumb stuff that you feel exhausted and weak and, and mentally tired and your mental health is awful. But when you're working out, reading, praying, participating in the sacraments, evangelizing, doing the things God calls you to do, using your gifts and talents to build up the kingdom, it's not work. It doesn't feel like you're exhausted. You take those active rest days, just like an athlete does. To take active rest means I go to mass on Sunday and I get, you know, I dress nicely for it. And I go to mass on Sunday, then I come back and I have breakfast or brunch with Emily. And like, we talk to each other and we talk about good things and, and plan our week and things like that. And that's restful but it's productive and it's fruitful, not just productive as in it's producing something for the world, but it's fruitful in our own lives. And because it's fruitful in our own lives, it ends up spreading out into being fruitful into the lives of others. Because we did that, because we got organized today, I was able to record, record the podcast this afternoon, right? So the, all these things flow from one from another. But if, if we didn't do those things, if we were slacking, if I'd slept in this morning, even though I wanted to, because I couldn't fall asleep last night, if I'd slept in this morning, had to go to mass later on today, it would just ruin the whole day. My whole schedule would have been just knocked off. But if I was listening to the world, that's what I would have done. Because my dorm was loud last night. I couldn't fall asleep. But I woke up this morning and said, hey, Em, you know, I think I'm going to go to mass later on. Sorry, I know we had the plan, whatever. And I just let weakness rule my day. From the beginning of my day, would have let weakness and lack of discipline rule my day. But instead, be a little tired. Drink an extra cup of coffee. Yeah, it's Sunday. Yeah, I wanted to catch up on sleep. But who cares? Record the podcast. Write some blogs. Do the things that I need to do. Use my gifts and talents to hopefully impact some of your lives so that you can be who you're called to be. So I can challenge you and challenge myself to be who we're supposed to be. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be remembered for. That's what I want to live my life around. 
And so we need to do that. Start challenging each other. Stop sharing that shit on Instagram that says, you just take a day off, be rest, be easy. Stop it. Oh my Lord. People know that we're, we're losing, <laughs> we're losing. Like think about being in a huddle in a football game or in a basketball game, or like I said, at war and you're getting destroyed. Like you're losing rapidly, right? Like culture, you know, pop culture, politics, academia, Hollywood, music, the church itself. We're losing on every battlefield. And the message that you hear from leaders is take it easy, take a rest. Self-care, self-love. <laughs> somebody, somebody, please, I beg you to email me, message me on Instagram, like write to me. I want to be wrong on that. Like somebody tell me how that makes any sense. Maybe you've never competed or maybe those people have never competed. Maybe they've never been in a fight. Maybe they've never, you know, had to actually be in a battle, but I don't believe that the answer is, is to be afraid. I don't think the answer is to go and take a bunch of rest days. It'd be easy on yourself. I think you need to challenge yourself. I think the reason why people listen to people like Eric Thomas, like Jordan Peterson, like Jocko Willink, like David Goggins is because you know deep down that there's more you can give. You know you're capable of doing more than you're doing right now and it eats you alive. It bothers you and it should. And you should sit in that. You should embrace that. You should own that. And you should do something about it. Change it. Don't just, a nap's not going to fix that. Change it. Sitting around talking about your feelings all day with your friends isn't going to do anything for that. Change it. If you have wounds, allow the Lord to heal them. But just like a platoon leader in battle, if I took casualties, that doesn't mean the mission stops. The bad guys don't stop shooting at you just because you just because you're injured or because somebody around you is injured. Keep fighting while treating your casualties, while allowing the Lord to heal your wounds, while allowing the Holy Spirit in to mend your broken heart. Do that, but keep fighting. Keep doing the things you're supposed to do. That's part of what gets me sometimes with Catholic podcasters and bloggers and stuff like it's just like always oh, like, oh, I'm gonna take six months off to rejuvenate rest or whatever. Like, slow down, but don't stop. If you have to slow down, slow down. Do one a month. I don't care what you do, but don't stop. What what the hell do I need three months off for? How what do I need it for? It doesn't make any sense. Don't stop. Slow down. If you need to slow down, drink water, take you know, take a little break, do it. But this three months, it turns into six months, it turns into a year. All the Catholic podcasts and blogs that start, and then two months later, they stop. Stop that. Stop that. Do what you're supposed to do. Reach people you're supposed to reach. Develop people. Develop people in person. Disciple others. Who are you mentoring right now? Who are you guiding? Who are you raising up next? We need to be doing that. Set the example. Be bold in your faith. Encourage others. Empower them to be a strong, positive, virtuous voice in this world. And be that yourself. Starts a personal holiness. If you want to change the world, change yourself. Let's take ownership. Be better this week. Fight hard and be your best.